The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IBC Media in San Diego, California. Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation state. We've got a great episode today. Our, our guest is Will Gaffney with Simplify. Simplify is one of my firm's partners who we use for some of the crazy tech targeting that we do in the political space. And I guess it's kind of a, a different uh, different approach than some of our normal topics. We're not talking about a policy topic here. We're talking about how we actually do some of the latest in political targeting, which is really in turn transforming politics and therefore policy throughout the state and out throughout the country. Um, there's a lot of uh, dense technical terminology that goes into the things that we do online. And the reason I want to do this episode was to try to break some of it down, put it in English as much as possible. I, ironically, the company's name is Simplify, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to simplify some of these concepts, explain a little bit about how they work, but also the implications of them and what they mean for those of us to work in the political space, uh, but also for the staffers and the politicians and the advocates who are listening, because these are the things that are changing the way we do business every day. So um, I really enjoyed this talk. If anything doesn't make sense, shoot me a line, hit me up. We can, we can unpack it more afterwards. Uh, I think we got 80% of the jargon out, but not 100%. So, um, so hopefully you enjoy it. Again, our guest is Will Gaffney with Simplified. Stick with us. There's more to come after this quick break. This is the Nation State of Play podcast powered by Neptune Ops. Do you have a business, nonprofit, or campaign that needs to break through the communications clutter? For over 10 years, IVC Media has developed a suite of digital tools, data sets, and creative techniques to help corporate, government, and nonprofit organizations deliver authentic, innovative, and effective communications. Our teams in San Diego and Tijuana can help you overcome the most challenging communications projects in any language or location. Visit us today at ibc.media. Welcome back to the Nation State of Play podcast. Well, Will, thanks so much for being on the show today. It's a pleasure to have you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. So uh, for... You know, we, we covered this a little bit in the intro, but I would love if you would talk a little bit about just generally who Simplify is and what you focus on. Yeah, so Simplify, we're a programmatic platform that we focus on really getting into the locality of being able to target users in a very granular level according to where they are and according to very drilled down targeting elements where normally a lot of online advertising tends to go in these very large predefined audience buckets we allow you to really kind of trim off as much of the fat with your audience so that you are spending your dollars where they're going to be most effective great so i, I want to start with i know what i know is going to sound like a really dumb basic question to you that's going to be a theme of this episode by the way uh but the this the tech world that you live in and that i dabble in is very dense to a lot of our listeners and so i, I want to elevate start with a really basic question which is what is programmatic advertising Programmatic advertising, um, by my probably most basic definition, is using data to justify putting an ad in front of somebody. So where normally the kind of all the judgments were um, like back in the day were done off of, okay, I have my audience, it most likely correlates into this magazine or my audience most likely watches this show. That's really all that you would be taking into account. And I want to 
put in a commercial for the show. I want to put in my advertisement within this magazine. What programmatic does is since with computers, with mobile phones, there's so much information that's constantly being shared between the different browsers, between the different apps, that's got um, all of that information is really good data that tells you what the person is interested in and what programmatic advertising is, is making sense of that data to figure out anonymously, obviously, but who is that user and why are they valuable to you and using that to your benefit so that you can understand if somebody's at a certain gym, they're, they clearly like to work out. They can use health and fitness um, information and ads being targeted to them. If they're searching for things around um, new cars, they're probably going to be in the market for a new car sometime soon. Let's get our um, automotive intenders over to them. And programmatic is just using the tons and tons of information that floats around the internet to target everybody at scale. Okay, so that's a really great explanation. I want to unpack that a little bit more. I, um, I've got a political version of that explanation that I usually start presentations with. I would love if I can run this one by you. Tell me if you think this, if I've gone wrong anywhere, if you can refine it. I think we're saying the same thing, um, but this is in a, a slightly different political context. And so this, this is what I usually say. Said its most basic level, programmatic advertising is one-to-one -one advertising with the goal of zero waste. And then the next thing I say is, listen, what we traditionally do in politics is we pick the media outlet and we hope that we hit the voter target by advertising on that media outlet. So we pick a certain TV station, we pick a certain newspaper, a billboard. We hope that the voter shows up. But in programmatic advertising, what we're doing is we're actually picking the voter and then finding them wherever they go online. So we're going to whatever site they're on. We're not making a, a guess about what their weird habits are. We're just going to go and chase them in the thousands of places that allow advertising, whether that's through you know, a, a newspaper site or whether that's through connected TV or whatever it is. It, first of all, let me, let me pause there. Anything wrong with that definition? No, that's exactly correct. So instead of forcing it on the publisher, you're going to the user where that's exactly what the benefit is. Yeah, and so to me, this is the really radical sea change in political advertising that I don't think most of the industry has actually woken up to yet because um, you know, I'm sure you see the data on the tremendous use of television, for instance, that still occurs in politics. And uh, you know, that, that may make sense for some consumer product plays, but, but I just wanna give you like the typical example and I'm curious as, as to how you try to explain to people the alternative. But when we think about a cable zone or worst, a broadcast zone in politics, th that has nothing to do with a congressional district or a legislative district or who votes in a primary or something like that. And there was actually an amazing study after last year's election um, done by a major outside super PAC. And they said 70% of all the dollars spent on Democratic congressional races literally went to voters outside of the targeted district. 70% of every dollar that he's worked so hard to fundraise and went to all those rubber chicken dinners and kissed the ass of all these donors that you can't stand. He just threw seven out of 10 of them away before you even got started. And it, it shouldn't surprise me because when you think about what a broadcast zone is, um, the people who are gerrymandering congressional districts are, are not at all concerned like with, with what a DMA of a broadcast zone is, and it bears no relationship to a cable zone either. And, and then from there, I try to say how, how we can solve that with CTV, but 
but for, but I'm, I'm curious as to how you approach this topic and then if you could start the CTV conversation and explain how CTV really solves that. Yeah, so generally I like to just kind of go into the comparison of um, there, there's a time and there's a tool for, for everything that you need to do. Broadcast has its, it's very powerful, but you are gonna have a lot of waste because you can only drill down so far. But it's, it's kind of like if, in, in the case of what you can get into for programmatic, you wouldn't send a doctor into a surgery with a machete, which is essentially what you were doing with programmatic or with what you're doing with broadcast. So you, he can't get drilled down enough, but with programmatic, you can go in with a scalpel and make very precise cuts into everything that you're doing. You can target the user according to very clear one-to-one -one matches of here's what we understand about this user and what um, what all it means to you. So that type of um, really, it, it gets into more of the, the quality over quantity as well, um, going into what programmatic can provide. And so where CTV is really kind of shaking things up a lot is that it's where broadcast was pretty specific where you can only show commercials on the television through broadcast. Now CTV is really disrupting that and bringing in the same type of uh, matching ability that we've had on programmatic with just various display ads, being able to use pre-roll through YouTube. But now we've really just kind of infected into the living room where it's this high engagement that previously was only exposed through broadcast, but now you have the, the added benefits of it's not necessarily you're locked into this one specific show only whenever this is going to air, which is all dictated by the networks because of the just how much more everybody's streaming. Everything's on the schedule of the user. And so yet again, it brings in the added benefit of the advantage of programmatic is you're not forcing the user to go to a publisher. You're not forcing them to go to a network. We're going and we're bringing that ad to the user, how the user wants to see it when the user wants to see it. Yeah, and so I, I think this is such an important point when we talk about what goes on in the living room from a political perspective. I imagine this is true in all advertising, but um, you know, we, we live in this sort of atomized age where we all have our own logins on whatever platform we prefer. And we're all getting you know, bespoke content that's like just for us. And I think one of the implications from that from a political perspective is you know, being on and modern family is not enough from an advertising perspective. Modern family is often awesome. there's not a lot of shows that like bring <laughs> us together as a family anymore, you know, from the TV. Instead, we're all on our own devices. And so one of the implications for us that we've really gotten into over the last cycle in particular is really different political ads, even within the same home to different people. And that might be because you've got a wife who's a Democrat and a husband who's a Republican. It might be because you have an 18 to 24 year old living at home and you wanna give them a different message than the parents. It might be because you have a multi-generational household. It could, it could be for any number of reasons. Um, that, that is uh, you know, one of the big distinctions to, to me at least in terms of the, um, the potential of these digital tools as opposed to traditional forms of television. I wonder how you think about that. And you know, do you see that in other spaces in advertising besides political, the need for that sort of intra-household targeting? There definitely is the need for inter-household um, targeting where everybody wants to make the distinction between the dad, the son, the mother. Um, 
it's something that is still being worked on, um, especially for the CTV device, where um, because it is a shared device, um, it does bring in that bit of um, this isn't as much of a one-to-one -one relationship as it is with a computer or a mobile phone. So, but it's not as one-to-many as broadcast is. And so instead of just being a whole zip code, whole metro that you would get with broadcast, this is at least a one to family. And so you have a certain cap on it. Um, but what um, this um, just kind of introduction of CTV into the programmatic space has actually given us is that since we now have access into this CTV device, it acts a little bit as kind of like a unification between all the different devices where we do have the very specific one-to-one -one relationships where my wife never uses my laptop. She never uses my phone or at least very rarely um, and everything. But that those are my devices where all of the history and the data on that is gonna be linked to me. But because everybody is still watching the same CTV device, it provides um, a way to essentially create the cross-device linking of here are the devices that we have associated with this household based off of different bits of data of what is being searched on, what um, is being collected. We can group in certain bits of here's the laptop and the mobile phone to be able to understand this is essentially person A, so we can reach them specifically by targeting these devices. Here's person B, person C, et cetera, and so on. While the CTV is still um, kind of the the shared device it does act as a little bit of a unifier with giving us another data point to kind of bring in added insights in the household yeah and i'm using ctv too broadly here be, because um when we couple that with individual ott streaming options then we really do start to get to people's own particular devices right yes correct so, so, and so again, I'm I'm myself guilty here of longing out too much in tech speak. So can you you explain how 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 streaming and OTT takes that to even more granular targeting? It does take it to more granular granular targeting because you are able to bring it out into um, some more um, what we call deterministic data to be able to link everybody together. So that's being able to utilize where people are logging in of making the links between phone, desktop, as well as CTV device. Um, and as well as it brings it on to the desktop and the phone um, to be um, the, small the small screen streaming as well, so that you can have con continue to have that one-to-one -one, uh, device targeting. So, so one of the objections I often get a lot in the political space when I talk about CTV is, People say, that's great, but you're not going to reach the seniors with digital. You, you still have to be on traditional broadcast. You still have to be on traditional cable. And so I did this experiment actually with your system um, a few months ago because I started getting this question so much. And basically what I did was I went into the voter file. I pulled the, the number of residences in California that has a senior living in it, and it is 3.5 million households. And then I went into your system. And we pulled the number of people who we could reach on digital and CTV with the same criteria, presence of seniors, ex almost exactly the same number is actually a little bit more in your system, which makes sense because there's some non-registered, so there's some people who are not registered voters who are seniors and you're even capturing them. So uh, that's a pretty explicit example of how you're able to, to reach, um, at least in California, it's, admittedly that's one state and maybe we're a little more connected than other places, but but how do you, how do you think about this um, this this objection. I'm sure you get the same thing. Do, do you think that we can reach seniors with these digital tools as well as other demographics? I definitely think that you can. So especially with um, 
desktop and mobile phone and especially the the how quarantine has affected um, CTV growth has been truly um, just astronomical over the last year and a half. Um, so we've seen CTV progress and mature probably at about three times the rate that we expected to previously um, in terms of just adoption, where with everybody constantly staying home, they need more options and they want on-demand options. And they've turned to various things such as streaming and being able to go into different applications to find this essentially um, just entertainment like black hole that they needed to fill the void with um, in quarantine. And that's really accelerated the adoption even at an older demographic, just because, I mean, there's some older demographics that they are also needing to penny pinch. They can't afford to pay this massive, um, this massive bill anymore. I mean, um, literally over the last month, I've had to um, educate my wife's parents about how to use Hulu streaming, how to use all sorts of different streaming platforms and go into more AVOD type things because they don't want to pay for cable. And I have to actually, they're wanting me to get onto a phone with her great grandmother to yes. have the same conversation. It's just like everybody, like there's nobody that isn't affected by this anymore. And everybody is aware of CTV um, and all of the streaming options that are available. And especially the older generation, they're seeing it as a very clear well, this is significantly cheaper than cable. Why would I not move to this? Yeah, it's a it's a great example. Well, I hope that conversation goes well with your wife's great grandmother. That's that's <laughs> ambitious. But uh, okay, so I want to ask about another one of the building blocks of all this technology. It's one that like every time I describe it, I'm still amazed by it. Um, and you guys do it, I think, better than anybody else in the market. And it's called addressable geofencing. What what is that? How does it work? Yeah. So um, essentially, addressable geofencing is being able to target people according to where they live. Um, and so what our technology does is that we can either and take a list from our clients of here's who we want to go after. Um, and that can be taken either from their own clients. If you have um, a list that's purchased of um, voter information um, and whatnot, you can send this over um, to us and we'll be able to pull that into our system. And what our system does is we take all those addresses and we send them off to our data partner who then um, creates a, um, we pull in the plat line, which is essentially just all the property line for that specific address. And we create, um, we create a fence for that, um, where if any lat long information from your phone, primarily um, also from your desktop and even your CTV devices, we're starting to see a little bit more of that. But if the lat long shows up that it's in between um, the fence of where that plat line is, we then know that they're opted in and we want to start serving them ads. And so it creates these tiny little barriers around every single house um, and where the property line is to be able to serve them ads and be able to know this is somebody that we want to reach. Okay. So, uh, and I know this is a basic question. Where does that data come from? What, what, what is telling you that a device is within that geofence? So that data comes from, um, like I said, primarily it's from the mobile phones. So as the phones are um, just needing all their information um, in order to speak to the satellites and everything, the satellites actually send out the information of exactly where it is so that they know where to send the information back to because you get the request for it and then you also get the data coming back in order to kind of better understand where it needs to go, we have to send off a location. And so that location gets sent off with all sorts of different bits of data um, that get used across browsers, apps, et cetera, et cetera. And so as that loads off, we are able to see that as it comes through in various bitstream elements so that we know this is where that phone is actually being located. And who sells you that information? 
Um, so that one, I'm not, I'm, not sure I'm asking, I'm asking for the names of the companies, but, I, but, I, but what I mean is like, is it app companies? Is it phone companies? Is it telecom companies? Like generally speaking, who, who are the sellers? So those are, um, that's the app companies at that point. So it's um, a part of, because it is part of the phone's software, um, what you are able to um, do whenever you are an app developer is you can put that information into the um, SDK or the software developer kit, which is just saying, I wanna be able to take in this information. And so this is the way that a lot of people are able to monetize their apps if they're not actually selling advertising. Right, right. So, so then the next question that always comes up from people is they say, well, what, can I just turn off all my location services and then you can't target me? And I know the answer to that is no, but can, but can you explain why? Uh, yeah, so, um, well, to be honest, the answer actually, um, it technically is yes, you can turn off all of your location services. And if you do that, we won't have any information to be able to target you. Where the issue comes in is that if you turn off all your location services, you can't enjoy the full functionality of a lot of apps that have really just kind of become a major foundation as part of our lives. So if you pull up ways to try and get home or find the fastest way somewhere, but your location services are on, that app is just deemed completely um, completely useless. Yeah, and, and I think as a practical matter, this is what I usually say to people is, you even if you tried to turn it off on your phone, which as you point out is really not practical for the vast majority of people, that's where something called a cross-device graph comes in um, because you're still probably going to be able to reach them through a signal from another device. There's a lot there though. So, can, so it's, but it's a good segue to, can you explain what, what the graph is, how that works, what it does? Yeah. So, um, so as people have been trying to turn off a lot more of this information, um, we aren't getting quite as high of a volume of this location data from as many apps, but we still are seeing it from the few apps that people are wanting to keep. And so where we're kind of trying to work on creating these links is being able to take where we are still getting the information of, um, from our apps and being able to translate that into various um, devices, applications, browsers that they are seeing. And so according to the location, if we see multiple different locations um, coming in um, pretty much from the same spot across different user IDs, um, but for the same device ID, we are able to put that into the cross-device graph that we have various partners um, such as LiveRamp and TapAd to be able to identify whenever they're on this mobile phone, they can also be on this desktop and that's gonna be the same user. And so instead of seeing that as two separate people, um, our system then looks at that as one single person so that we can um, be sure to reach them in the mobile, tablet, desktop, CTV, et cetera, et cetera. Right, so, so is, is the right takeaway there, you, even if you think you can turn off the vast majority of things on your phone, it's probably a real struggle to turn off all of them. What you'd really have to do is turn off all the location services on all the devices you're using. Otherwise, it, we're eventually gonna get the signal in the graph probably. Uh, and again, that's just not realistic for the way people use the internet these days. Is that fair? Correct. Yeah, that's completely yeah. fair. All right. So, um, so one of the uses of this geofencing is really important from a political perspective. Um, certainly, when we're targeting voters, but particularly when we're targeting politicians, is um, then being able to retarget their mobile device wherever they go. And you've ex you've explained most of this with the explanation of the geofences, but can you just kind of see this through now of what happens after we've captured that, that mobile device and how we're able to, to retarget that with ads without having to buy banner ads across dozens of sites? 
Yeah, so the, the best um, kind of piece of what sets our geofencing apart is that we utilize the lat long information to initially opt them in. And so whether you're drawing a geofence um, around state capital or you use addressable geofencing um, to target somebody's um, house according to addresses that you get, we get the lat long ping that's within the fence that initially opts them in. And once we have that, we have that device ID, we have that user ID from the cross device graph of saying this user has opted in for advertising. After that point, we don't need to have the lat long to re-opt them in. Wherever they are, we've already received the information that this is somebody that we wanna show an ad to. So whether they leave the Capitol, they leave their own house, they go work out somewhere, they go to a bar, we can show them an ad as long as we're getting that ping from their um, signal. And so this really creates a differentiator because it's not us targeting them again where specifically where that fence is, we get to follow them wherever they want to go, wherever their guard might be a little bit down and they're a little bit more receptive into advertising, but we make sure to take advantage of that opportunity to reach them wherever the user goes. Yeah, and so I, I think this is such an important tool when we're targeting politicians, um, but you know, just let's just take a Sacramento politician. There's a lot of noise in Sacramento. Um, most people, what they're gonna do is they're just gonna geofence the capital. They're gonna maybe do the downtown area and, and you've got a ton of competing messages coming in. Uh, I think that's, there's a role for that. But what I love about your tool is what, what we're really able to do then is reach those people when they're back in their district, um, when they go back for the weekend, which they're regularly commuting to, when they're in the airport, where, you know, if they're in their condo in Sacramento, wherever they are. And the other really important point to me is politicians we know get their news from a lot of different sources and actually a lot of times they don't even read news <laughs> okay because they're getting news clips from a staffer this is particularly true when we're targeting members of congress for instance it's like i you know and I, i'm on politico and I'll, I'll see ads targeting nancy pelosi i'm like she's not gonna see that <laughs> okay she's because nancy pelosi isn't like scrolling through politico right she's she's getting her clips from her people now she's doing something online we don't know exactly what that is, um, but we don't have to know what that is when we've captured her mobile device and we can reach her whether she's in San Francisco or Washington. Is that fair? Yeah, exactly. Wherever wherever she ends up going, whatever she ends up doing, whether she's uh, wanting to take a break and play words with friends, we can get that. It <laughs> all depends on where she's wanting to be, what she's wanting to do. Yeah. And, you'd, and you'd be surprised how many politicians use words with friends. We, we know that from the data. So, uh, so again, <laughs> this, is what, this is what's great about programmatic is like, we, we couldn't guess the things that actually are happening, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and we don't have to guess, we're, we're taking the guesswork out of it. Okay, um, so, so I'll ask you about a few developments in the space. You know, you've, you've mentioned the opting out of um, location data. It, this has been really confusing space to follow because there's been like some things that were, Apple was going to do and then they backed off of them. Can, can you kind of give us at a high level an overview of what's happening in the location data space? Yeah, um, it's high level. There's been like I've gone over, there's a lot of information that gets sent out from your desktop, your tablet, and your mobile phone. A lot of this is kind of a um, it technically has been very forefront about here's exactly what's being tracked, what's being used, but um, it's within the big terms and conditions that a lot of people tend to scroll past and just hit accept whenever they are on a browser, whenever they're downloading an app. Now it's been um, shown of how this information can be used and really pretty much how powerful it can be. And a lot of people are wanting to kind of have a little bit more control over um, how that data gets shared. And so, Everybody from Apple to Google, Chrome, 
Um, they're really wanting to make sure that they provide the necessary um, levers to really control that information because it is something that belongs to the user. They wanna make sure that they have that necessary control and only share what they wanna be shared and also are very, um, very aware of what is being shared. And so that's really what's kind of happened in the space over the last uh, year or two um, is there's a big shift of putting the power into the user's hands to control what is shared. And how has that impacted your ability to micro-target people in the ways we've been talking about? Um, so far, it's been um, fairly minimal. As um, changes have come out, we've really made um, significant investments in, um, in advancing the cross-device graph that we went over earlier, um, really in an effort to, as people are um, continuing to opt out, um, that's something that we can't force them to opt back in. But really, the issue that we're solving is that the sheer mass amount of information that does come into our system, um, most of it isn't clean enough to be able to actually translate into this is a targetable user with all of the necessary elements that um, our clients are wanting to, um, to target by. And so what this cross-device information does is it allows us to clean up a lot of this essentially trash that we were throwing away, but because we have more information of this piece goes in here and we can essentially make the full user out of all this cross-device information, it allows us to backfill these users who are opting into advertising to continue um, advertising at this very granular level. Got it, got it. All right, so, so let me ask you to kind of speculate a little bit here into the future. What, what's next? What, what, is, what are problems are not being solved right now in the ad tech space and where, where do you expect us to be? As an industry, I'm not asking about specific products, but you know, where, where do you expect to be as an industry a few years from now? What, what's, what's the new bells and whistles we'll be talking about? Um, it's a good question. So, um, yes, the biggest thing that we're moving towards is as the privacy updates do continue to affect us, um, making sure that we can clean up those who have opted in and being able to combine even more data elements to really define a user. Um, and so being able to do that in bulk and having more um, kind of data science driven audience creation, I think is gonna be absolutely huge um, in the future where um, right now we're utilizing a lot of elements that it's more of a manual effort, but being able to do a lot of different things in bulk to outline specifically who a user is. Like for example, in quarantine, being able to see, we wanna, like, we wanna target users who are really not leaving their bubble um, that would be something that we can automate in the future and being able to actually have that um, as a product and be able to identify various other um, audiences in a um, basis of taking into more consideration aside from just the data elements that we do get specifically from the bid stream, um, but being able to um, really create essentially a modeling of how to define users um, on a more granular basis just by being able to extrapolate from the data that we do get. Well, listen, uh, this is such a fascinating topic. Um, I, I would do it all day if the listeners would stick with us, but it's probably a great place to wrap. Um, you guys, uh, great products, uh, at tremendous customer service. Uh, if people want to find out more about Simplify, where can they go online? Uh, our, our website's actually a Finnish website, so it's uh, simply.fi. Um, and then if you just go there, you can be able to find all the different products that we offer. And uh, we'd love to... Um, hear more from y'all and thank you very much for having me yeah no thanks thanks for being on the show that was great stuff 
We invite you to share story ideas, comments, and questions. Find us at NeptuneOps.com or on Twitter at at NationStateOfP1. Again, that's at NationStateOfP and then the number one. Follow us and subscribe to listen to all of our episodes as we continue to explore the inside stories driving California policy. The Nation State of Play podcast is produced by IVC Media in San Diego, California. Thank you for listening to the Nation State of Play podcast powered by Neptune Ops. American democracy is good, but we can make it better. The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers includes organizations across the country who are working right now to build a better democracy by opening primaries, implementing safe, secure voting systems, reducing corruption, and increasing transparency. Listen to our weekly podcast, How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, to hear updates from the latest movements in the democracy reform space. Subscribe and learn more about us at nonpartisanreformers.org.